Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Another absolutely spectacularly beautiful day in the state of Mississippi. It really looks like it's going to be that way until the end of the week when... Rain is a coming thanks to, what, a tropical depression that's about to turn into a uh, storm. Does this one, Delta. This one is named Delta since we have gone through the entire alphabet of names and now we're doing Alpha, Beta, Chi, and Delta, I suppose. Yeah, there's another one in the Gulf, too, called Gamma. And the way it's going to move is literally drawing out the Greek alphabet letter Gamma. In the goal. Oh, that's weird. Pretty crazy, right? That is weird. Hey, glad to have you along this afternoon. It is Sports Talk Mississippi. Comes to you every single day during the week, 3 to 6. We are glad to have you along. Ceasefire text line is open. 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. Don't forget that you can save $100 on an iPhone, no bull, no gimmicks, no anything. Just save 100 bucks on an iPhone online at cspire.com or at your local Cspire store. Don't fall for all the gimmicks that the other guys use. Just go for the straight, easy answer. 100 bucks off an iPhone. That almost never happens at uh, cspire.com. Boys, what a weekend it was. A weekend where the results on the field uh, pretty much the opposite of what we saw in week number one. Week number one saw Ole Miss host Florida lose 51-35. to Week number two saw Ole Miss go on the road to Kentucky and get a win in overtime 42-41 in what was an entertaining football game. And after the game, Lane Kiffin was, uh, he was happy that he was excited about the win. He said, you know, I mean, we gave up like 1,000 yards rushing. We obviously can't tackle anybody, but yeah, really happy for our guys to get the win. A week ago, it was Mississippi State going into Tiger Stadium in Baton Rouge, facing the reigning national champion LSU Tigers, who are obviously very different this year than they were a year ago, and Mississippi State walking away with a 44-34 win in which their quarterback, Mississippi State's quarterback, K.J. Costello, set a record for individual passing yards in a game, 623 of them. Fast forward a week, it was Mississippi State hosting the Arkansas Razorbacks, who were not the reigning national champions. They were the team that had lost 20 consecutive conference games, and most people had picked to go 0-10 this year in the SEC. They have no longer lost 20 conference games in a row. They have won one. And they are not going to go 0-10. They are, at worst, going to go 1-9. and And 
a week ago, Southern Mississippi gave up 66 points in a loss at home. So what did they do? They went on the road to Denton, Texas, to take on the University of North Texas, and they came away with their first win of the season, a conference win, no less, first win of Scotty Walden. Luke Johnson may have had the tweet of the weekend. He said, with that win, Scotty Walden has now surpassed Ellis Johnson in total number of wins as a head coach at the University of Southern Mississippi now that he has one. I thought that was pretty good from Luke on uh, Saturday night. Yeah, and Sam Pittman has passed his predecessor in the in SEC terms of conference win wins. Yeah, he <laughs> certainly has. Instead of two years to do it, but he did it. He certainly has. Hey, Dad, I will give you the opening statement after kind of getting the just kind of laying the groundwork out of the way. I listened to about half of the Thunder and Lightning podcast. I was so disappointed. I thought I was going to wake up to that on Sunday morning. And I was going to listen to the entire thing on my plane ride home from uh, from Lexington, but I had to wait. Apparently, you only do emergency late at night podcasts after unbelievably massive wins, where we just can't wait any longer. Well, normally I do a Sunday podcast after a win, and if it's a a loss, I wait. But that Saturday one, I I just told Joel, I was like, "You're sitting right here in my house. Why don't we just go do this podcast and we can have Sunday off?" So normally there I would go. do it on, earlier Sunday. Uh, my first statement will be that the third letter of the Greek alphabet is gamma, not chi. I would start with that, but beyond uh, yeah. that, that's right. Alpha, beta, gamma, delta, blah blah blah. I should have known that. Thank you. I mean, you strike me as a, as a guy who was probably in the Greek system at some point in your life. Briefly. Uh, yeah. There you go. Um, yeah. Obviously, not what it was expected in Starkville. Uh, Saturday night, not the the best perform, not a good performance at all for Mississippi State. Too many mistakes uh, to win, and give Arkansas a lot of credit. Uh, that I mean, I was in Fayetteville last year. That team could have lost to some good high school teams. Uh, this year, that is a much different looking football team. And I don't know how many more games they're going to win. They might only win the one, but they'll be competitive the rest of the year. As far as Ole Miss goes, I, I got to see most of that game. Uh, I will say that if, if they hadn't missed that extra point, Richard, you might still be in Lexington. Neither one of those teams could stop the, each other. <laughs> you might be in the, the 94th overtime by now. I don't know. But uh, a really good win for Ole Miss. They needed the confidence booster, and they got it. And uh, now we'll see you know, what the rest of the season brings. I guess if you're a State fan, if you want to have a silver lining, and I'm sure you do at this point, you were probably thinking this team was going to be 1-1 one and one after two games anyway. And they are. I have a feeling Lane Kiffin was going to end that game one way or the other after their touchdown in overtime. That's just you a think guess. So? I think he's think going he for, two for two there. there? I think so. Yeah, if, if, they had, if they had made the extra point, you might be right. I think that the game ends on the extra point try in the first overtime regardless of what Kentucky did. I think. I'm not sure he, I'm not sure he would have done that in the first overtime. Because Ole Miss had the ball first in the second overtime. Yeah. And I think they were really confident in their ability to get in the end zone. Now, of course, they should have the, been, the, yeah. other, the, the other thing, Borky, is though, if you get it first and you kick the extra point, you are at the mercy of the other head coach not choosing to go for two to you know win it or lose it. There was a little bit of foreshadowing that Ruffalo's kick could be interesting i honestly it never entered my mind never entered my mind in overtime that he was going to do anything other than just drill the extra point i was standing right there under the goalpost, and i just assumed it was going i kind of looked and i was like oh whoa it didn't just miss it missed by missed like badly. eight feet 
I mean, it missed by a ton. The foreshadowing was, though, if you think about it, you rewind early in the game. On an extra point, he hit the right upright, but he hit the inner half of the right upright, and he got the fortuitous bounce where it fell across the, the, the crossbar and dropped about a foot behind it. So it was good. And then on the field goal attempt, after he had already hit the upright once, he hit the outer half of the upright, and it bounced forward and down into the end zone. So he had flirted with that right edge a couple of times. Sometimes you'll see a kicker like overcompensate that, and they'll kind of double cross the other way. He never made an adjustment at all, and it was not even close. So flat-out shank. Right off the hosel. Yeah. yeah. He, just, he just ruined it. But it, that it, field goal that you mentioned that he missed, uh, are you sure? Because one of the officials said that a field goal that hit the <laughs> upright. So good. I didn't see that until after the game. Somebody had sent the screenshot, and you got one official waving his arms for no good, and the other with both arms extended up for the it's good signal. But my question it's 2020 is, in a picture. That's was all he, it is. Was he like checking good. out a no, cheerleader or something? Because the ball hit the upright and landed back into the field. Yeah. How do you? I mean, how do you Whoops. put your hand up in the air? I don't know. I don't yeah, know. That guy at the eighty-three Egg Bowl. They uh, they did not put the points on the board though, which I guess was uh, all that really mattered. Um, boy, Mark Stoops was good and hot at the end of that game as well. Yeah, and went be. after one of the officials and made contact. I was going to ask the you that because on the broadcast, right as it looked like he was about to, they cut away, and so you didn't get to see what he did. Did you get to see actually like in action there with him and the ref, or were it, was it all chaos? I, I was I was not paying attention. So the the overtime period was played on the opposite end of the field, so it was played on the the south end of the field. And the officials walked off into the northeast corner. And Ole Miss's locker room was in the northwest corner. So I was kind of walking over to the east side of the stadium and then just kind of meandering across the field in the general direction of the Ole Miss locker room. I had to go by and grab my bag before I could go over for, for postgame stuff. And no, I wasn't even looking at that at that time. But he would have been going away from where I was, and I didn't see that at, at the time. It wasn't until after it was over where I saw the replay where he kind of reached out and grabbed one of the officials. And and there was a video where you could saw, saw the official kind of turn and jerk his arm away and look at him, and then he kept on running. I, I don't know how the SEC office does anything but issue a reprimand and a fine for that. I mean, there's some things that there's just not any gray area. You might have an incidental bump during the game on the sideline just because you got too animated. Chasing the, uh, an official after the game and making contact, no gray area there. Who was the basketball coach who bumped an official this past year? Was it Rick Barnes? Oh, yeah, but that was where... Uh, Eaves, the official initiated the, official, the contact, though, yeah. He's the one that initiated the contact. I'm trying to remember if there was any suspensions of anything. I don't remember. Sports Talk Mississippi just getting started with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll go to the ceasefire text line and start dissecting these games next. We are going to do something a little bit later this afternoon that we do not normally do. You know that we do winners and losers to begin the 4 o'clock hour, and depending on who your team is, that sometimes uh, depends on who you have as a winner and who you have as a loser. Hogman is kind of a resident Arkansas fan. 
and he texts us all the time, and he has had to listen to a lot of predictions, a lot of negative predictions about the Arkansas Razorbacks. And uh, he, he, he sent us a message that says, uh, you guys may have me blocked today. <laughs> no, Hogman, we don't have you blocked. So we are going to let Hogman join us. Uh, or We're going we're gonna to give him a call to, uh, to start the 4 o'clock hour. He, uh, as, as a fan of a team who has lost, had lost 20 in a row in the SEC and is who, ha, who has had to endure the derision of all the yes sir jokes along the way, we'll, uh, we'll give Hogman a couple of minutes to, uh, gloat or whatever, whatever it is that, uh, he wants to do. I'll have my finger near the dump button. Just in case. You think? Uh, just in case. Oh, I, I Hogman's mean, going to be fine. He said they're out hauling soybeans today, but he would make time to talk to us. If I was a fan of a team that lost 20 consecutive conference games, I'd let a few four-letter four words slip if I got the opportunity, I think. Yeah, okay. Be a little overjoyed at that result. All right. The, the way we generally decide which game we're going to talk about first on a Monday, it, it, it's first about who wins and who loses, and if one wins and one loses, the decision is easy. If they both win or they both lose, we decide which game is bigger. Well, we've got one win and one loss, so this weekend we will talk, or this Monday, we will start with Ole Miss. There's a lot to unpack from that ballgame. Um, I was watching 40, SEC now, and they did the highlights, yeah. of, and they started in overtime. It's like, guys, you are forgetting so much that happened that led up to that overtime highlight. Yeah, there's um, there's a lot to get to before you ever get to uh, overtime. So kind of a back and forth ball game. Ole Miss scores first, then Kentucky scores, and um, Kentucky led fourteen to seven at the end of the first half. And for the second consecutive game, Ole Miss has gotten the ball first. This time they actually won the toss and decided to take the ball. And so just like Florida did, although it was different because Florida deferred. They got the ball last possession of the first half, stuck it in the end zone, and that made it 21-14. And then they got the ball first possession of the second half, stuck it in the end zone, and that made it 28-14. And if you were an Ole Miss fan, there's probably some doubt at that point. Because one thing that Ole Miss was not doing was stopping Kentucky at all. And... I wonder if you have a little bit of a dilemma right now if you are preparing to face Ole Miss. Because clearly Florida wanted to throw the football. And they did so with a massive amount of success. Clearly, Kentucky wanted to run the football. And they did so with a massive amount of success. Three 100-yard rushers in the ballgame. Uh... I don't even know how you decide what you want to go after offensively when you're playing Ole Miss at, at this point. It's whatever you're better at. I, I suppose that's fair. I do. I suppose that's fair. I will say this. As bad as the Ole Miss defense was on Saturday, they gave up only 151 yards through the air, but 408 yards rushing. They did come up with a handful of big plays, crucial stops, timely stops, where they forced 
Kentucky in a situation where they had to punt or where they were able to slow it down. And really, that's probably the difference in the ballgame. Because even though they were just getting punched in the mouth over and over and over, and Kentucky for the game averaged 7.3 yards per rush, and that was on 56 rush attempts, there were a couple of big plays that the Ole Miss defense made, and that gave them a chance. For sure. Momo Sin- yeah, Momo Sonogo had a huge sack. Jamar Richardson, who didn't play a, a, a great game for much of it, had a sequence where he had a, a sack on a corner blitz, and then he came up with a great play where he batted a ball away. Uh, again, there weren't a lot of highlights defensively, but there were a few, and they made a difference. They did. And it's something that I hate doing this because I, I, even if I have outlandish takes, like my Sam Darnold thing from last week for the Saints, I like to at least have something to point to to be able to say, hey, this is why I think that. I have nothing to quantify this with, Richard, but tell me if you see the same thing. I think at least through two weeks, especially Saturday, it, we can keep Saturday in a vacuum. I think Ole Miss was the better conditioned football team than Kentucky. And there's nothing I can point to other than fourth quarter point differential in which Ole Miss combined is better than their two opponents in the fourth quarter. And it's the only quarter they've won combined this season. I think you saw the stops for that reason late and Ole Miss offensively got better throughout the game because they're in better shape than Kentucky. That's the only thing that I can think of. And I I swear I saw it because they don't do a lot of rotating on the offensive line. They didn't at all last week. Did it very few times on Saturday. And yet those guys are still moving the football throughout two games now. Very little rotation on the offensive line. And defensively, they were overmatched and manhandled all game until it got later in the game. And suddenly they started getting stops. I can't quantify this other than I think that's what I'm seeing. But it looked to me like Ole Miss was better conditioned than Kentucky and that's why, as the game went on, they were able to have more success on both sides of the ball because of it. You mentioned Mark Stoops in the first segment going after the official, but he should have gone after him himself and his team. Just I thought that was a really poorly coached game. I thought they had moments. The, the decision of the kid who's running, he's going to score. Nope, I'm going to take time to flash deuces here before I get run down from behind. And then they don't score on that drive. There's that. I mean, the, you mentioned they're averaging what seven and a half yards a carry. That was at one point ten yards a carry. I, I was, I had the uh, the like the split screen going there with the stats, and then they decided just to start throwing the football more. And I, I didn't understand. I was, I was having flashbacks to last year and always run never pass. So I thought Mark Stoops coached a really poor game. I thought Lane Kiffin coached a pretty good game. And when those two things combined, you, you see what happens. St- St- that Kentucky team. I thought they were going to be pretty good. I don't know if they're any good or not. I'll file, I'll think I'll know for sure after this weekend. But I, think I, don't, know what, I don't know. Kentucky's offensive line is outstanding. They're good. Well, I mean, they they move the football, but I don't. Stoops they were road really graders, and and yeah. you know some of this is a personnel issue. But Kentucky's offensive line had no issue whatsoever getting to and tying up Ole Miss's linebackers. And they did it all game long. I mean, that's the biggest reason that that Kentucky, you know, they, they were running the read option, but they never ran it to the inside. Everything they did was to the outside, and Ole Miss did, did not have the ability to string things out. Like, like, you know, if you watched Ole Miss trying to run to the outside, Kentucky was able to string it out to the sideline and be pretty effective in keeping Ole Miss from getting to the outside and turning the corner 
Ole Miss was not able to do that really at any point in the day, and it didn't matter whether it was Richards or Rodriguez who was running it or Rose who was running it or Terry Wilson keeping it himself. And Cavassier Smoke got hurt early in the game. I mean, you only saw a handful of carries from Smoke, and he yeah. never returned. He's, out, the, he's uh, out this week. Easy, really? Yeah. I was impressed with uh, the other two running backs, though, uh, with A.J. Rose and with uh, with Rodriguez. Uh, they both ran hard. Both have got great speed. And, again, they're running behind maybe the best offensive line in the conference. I mean, we'll see. We'll see if it turns out to be the case. But I think that's a really, really good group. Your point about A.J. Rose, though, I mean, opening – play of the after Ole Miss had just dissected Kentucky, gone down, stuck it into the end zone. First play of the game from scrimmage from for Kentucky offensively should have been a 75-yard house call. Yeah. Turned out to be 72 yards and tackled it to three. And then two plays later, the same guy fumbles trying to go into the end zone, tried to raise the ball up, got knocked out. They reviewed it. Ole Miss got the ball. Now, ultimately, Ole Miss didn't do anything, had a relatively short punt, got it returned to the 29, and Kentucky was able to cash it in. So that particular turnover didn't come back to haunt Kentucky, but it could have. And, and you're right. I mean, the the picture was, you know, him holding up the deuces. It's, yeah. Tyreek Hill called him out on Twitter, too. I thought that was funny. Yeah. That uh, that's pretty good. Borky, going back to your question or your point for a second ago, I, I saw somebody say, yeah, if Kentucky looks gassed, it's because their running backs have been running gassers all game. Like, during the course of the game, <laughs> they were having to do wind sprints, and maybe they were out of gas at the end. I, I, I don't know. Maybe you're on to something. I didn't really have that feeling in, in real time. Like, oh, wow, Kentucky is not in shape. They're not in football condition. It's not so much a knock on Kentucky. Almost felt like it still had plenty of juice at the end of that ballgame. That's really where I'm getting at. Hey, Dad, on the on the Kentucky not throwing thing, I will say this. Terry Wilson was 6 of 6 for 62 yards at the half. He only attempted one ball down the field mm-hmm. and finished the game 14 of 18. So he was, he was incredibly efficient. But, efficient. but not not they were just so effective running the ball they should have stuck with it, I thought. So what about the play of Matt Corral? 24 of 29, 320 yards, four touchdowns, sacked twice in the game, also ran it 13 times for 51 yards. Borky threw two games. I don't know what else you could ask of Matt Corral than what he has given so far. Seven touchdown passes, one interception. That was a tip ball at the line of scrimmage that ended in the belly of a defensive lineman. He has been accurate. He's made the right reads. In two games, I think you can probably point to about three throws that weren't good throws. Consistency's been there. He's done everything right. Yeah. And I think the biggest factor, especially on Saturday, Ole Miss's offensive line got uh, beat up on a little bit by Kentucky up front. They were giving up a lot of pressure, and his elusiveness and then still being able to distribute uh, an accurate football after evading multiple defenders was pretty impressive. Had to do that a handful of times. That sack number is a little bit deceiving. I think it could have been 
If Jacob Eason, that statue was standing back there, that number's eight oh. instead of two. <laughs> you know, it's very different. Um, he looks a lot more comfortable. And Kiffin said in the press conference today that there's still uh, – he occasionally will rush his feet. It's just something that they're working on. But you're right. And he – He's still an unfinished product. I said this yesterday on the show, and one person got upset with me, but I, they just, I guess, didn't understand my point. There's still room to grow. He's not a complete product. There were a couple of throws he, he put into double coverage yesterday. And just little things like that that he can clean up. But, but this isn't some redshirt senior who's 24 years old and married with a baby. He's still a very young quarterback in his third system in three years and there's still room to grow, and he's producing like this. It's really impressive, the change from last year to this year. And there's still things that, I mean, Kiffin's pointing out that he can work on in little areas where he his game can grow. This isn't a finished product, and it's this good. Richard, you're you're an Ole Miss insider, so I'm going to ask you a question. Hopefully you have an answer. But after watching Corral these past couple of games and watching how good he is as an athlete running the football, what was Rich Rodriguez thinking last year? What was the thought process there? Because this guy can run just fine. He's a good player, good athlete, good quarterback. What 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 was he thinking? You know I think I think in some ways John Rice Plumley reminded Rich Rod of Pat White. Okay. Because Matt Corral is an effective runner who runs when he needs to because a play is breaking down or very occasionally a quarterback draw will be called for him. John Rice Plumley is a runner that's playing quarterback. And, I mean, I think Rich Rod was convinced that he was still running a spread offense when nobody else in the country knew what a spread was. Yeah. <laughs> Which is part of it. I mean, yeah, he was cutting edge when he was doing that at West Virginia. Everybody yeah. else was running pro-style stuff. It was different. It was fast. It was innovative. It was, and, and by the way, he had an unbelievable athlete playing quarterback, Pat White out of Mobile, in his time at West Virginia. In 2005. In 2005, 15 years ago. We were huh. talking about something in the post-game show. So Brett Norsworthy and I, you know, Brett, kind of old-school football guy a little bit, and has always been, and I think I referenced this last week when we were talking about Mississippi State, Run the ball, stop the run, you win football games. You know, there, there are occasionally anomalies. And so I said to Brett on, on Saturday, Brett, in two weeks in the SEC, we have seen a football team rush for nine net yards and win, and another football team rush for 408 net yards and lose. Mississippi State, nine yards rushing last week against LSU in a win. Kentucky, 408 yards rushing on Saturday in Lexington and a loss. Cole Kublik points out on Twitter that in the last 25 seasons, there have been four SEC teams who have rushed for 400 or more yards in a game and have lost. Saturday, Kentucky. Last year, Ole Miss against LSU. And then twice in 2016, once Missouri against Tennessee, but Tennessee still won. And also Kentucky against Tennessee, but Tennessee still won. In 25 years, only four times has a team rushed for 400 yards in a game and not won. 
And so maybe there is some truth to that old axiom, if that's what you want to call it. Um, I thought Jonathan Mingo was huge for Ole Miss on Saturday. You know, Elijah Moore has been the guy for two years. Jonathan Mingo was the first receiver not named Elijah Moore to have 100 yards receiving in a football game since November of 2018 when A.J. Brown and Demarcus Lodge both went for over 100 yards in a single game. I think it was November 4th of 2018. So at no point last year, I guess that would be what, final three games of 2018, at no point last year, and then the opening game this season, nobody other than Elijah Moore going for over 100. And Lane Kiffin said after the game that he thought that Mingo played angry. I mean, never mind the two touchdown catches where he ran good routes and was able to get a defender on his hip and then Corral had great throws. He caught him and did the rest, got into the end zone. How about the two catches on the sideline where he just decided to absolutely truck a defender and carry him for like five to seven yards before going down? He's such a good compliment to Elijah Moore because they're very different receivers. And, I mean, it's not hyperbole. You look at Jonathan Mingo, and he resembles two guys that recently wore number one and played wide receiver at Ole Miss. Those are those guys had that mentality, too. A.J. Brown, I mean, he was great in space, but was physical. Laquan Treadwell was better at blocking than he was at playing wide receiver. He had that kind of, I'm going to kick your you-know-what mentality when he played, and Mingo played with that Saturday. Very different from Elijah Moore, but a perfect compliment to him. He's got that mentality as a wide receiver, I'm going to line up in front of you, and I'm going to bury you into the ground. And you don't see that all that often with wide receivers, but he's one of them. Yeah, I also thought Kenny Yaboa played a pretty important role for Ole Miss. He had only three catches in the game. But, boy, he made him count three catches for 84 yards and a touchdown. And he's got a touchdown catch in each of his first two games. That's a big piece for this offense. Because Ole Miss doesn't have to have Elijah Moore go catch 10 balls and Mingo catch 8 and Drummond catch 7. It can be Elijah Moore with 10, and then two other, th- two or three other guys that catch, you know, four, five, six balls. And now you've got really good distribution. And the more you have other players emerge, you, you get one of two things that happens. Either you take advantage of the fact that a defense is keying and maybe even using multiple people to cover Elijah Moore, or they have to play Elijah Moore a little more more straight up in matchups where he is almost always going to win 101. So having multiple weapons in the passing game is a plus a bunch of different ways you look at it. Last individual guy I would mention, and he was named Special Teams Player of the Week in the SEC, Mac Brown. There is nobody that is happier to have a special teams coordinator that lets a punter punt than Mac Brown. A, a year ago, he was doing the little run to my right, run to my left, do the little half-hearted rugby-style thing, and that it, it wasn't his game. Said before this season started, he was so excited about being able to just boom balls. And that's exactly what he did. Punted five times for an average of 49 yards. His long was 59 he was going against, you know, at the same position on the opposite side of the field for Kentucky, the reigning Ray Guy Award winner in Max Duffy, who was really good. He averaged 50 yards on three punts. 
But Borky, when Ole Miss decided not to go for it on fourth down, by the way, that was absolutely the right decision with 38 seconds to yes, play. It was. And Kentucky sitting in field goal range, you got to go good snap and get it away. And he kicked it 55 yards and flipped the field and got Mark Stoops to just call uncle. Yep. They ran the ball one time and then let the clock run out. It, glad you pointed that out because it's not something that I mentioned in the podcast or the show yesterday. But that punt, that one in particular, sent the game to overtime. There was a chance that Kentucky had enough time to try to get something, and that was it. Second the ball left his foot, it was overtime. Yeah. You're absolutely right. So a lot of positive there. Um, I actually think Kentucky is a pretty decent football team. That was the first time that they had given up more than 28 points and or more than 400 yards in total offense in 18 games, I think it was. To go back and double-check my notes on that. Kentucky's been good defensively for the last two years. And that's who Mississippi State is going to face this coming Saturday night in Lexington. Back-to-back home games for Kentucky. And you want to talk about a wounded animal. Kentucky's sitting there at 0-2 right now. Tough spot. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us. Ceasefire text line is open 601 879 4395. Message says, What do you guys think about Rich Rod for head coach at Southern Miss and Plumley transferring home to start at quarterback? I would advise against that. Like, I might even shoot Jeremy McLean a message that says, hey, man, not trying to do your job. You do whatever you need to do. Make the decision that you think is the best. You're a sharp guy. You're a smart guy. You get the best interest of Southern Miss at heart. I don't think I'd hire Rich Rod to be a head coach. There are plenty of other coaches that don't have some of the Rich Rod baggage that know how to use a a quarterback like John Rice Plumley effectively. And they got first-hand knowledge of what should be a candidate last week and how good of an offense he can run. Yeah. yeah. Um, you don't have to yeah. go washed-up former coach at a big school at Southern Miss. You don't have to do that. Yeah. I um, Man, we're in such a weird time with regard to transfers and guys moving around and doing you know what they want to do and what they believe is best for them. So, I, I mean, I, I, I say this kind of as what I think today, not to say that it couldn't change. I, I don't know what John Rice Plumley wants. We know that he wanted to play quarterback coming out of high school. He wanted to try that. And there were things that he did really, really well playing quarterback coming out of high school. But if we can just be completely honest with ourselves for a second... When Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, never mind Kirby, he was committed to Georgia at one point. When Nick Saban says, I want you to play for me 
as a safety. I think that tells you something. I mean, obviously Ole Miss was in a position where they could take a chance on a guy like John Rice Plumley to get an unbelievable talent in the program, and, you know, he, he had a chance there. He's really, really athletic. He's really gifted. And I think if John Rice Plumley wants to be a professional football player at a different position and really commits to it, I could see that happening. He's tough. He can fly. I don't know if he can catch. That's an issue if you're talking about being a slot receiver. He's clearly not afraid of contact. You've seen that in the course of two years. So, you know, maybe as a safety, it's there. Who knows? And then there's the baseball thing. I guess I'm saying all that to say, I don't know that I necessarily see John Rice Plumley transferring. But again, I go back to what I said a second ago. I don't know what he wants to do. We know he wanted to play quarterback coming out of high school. He had that shot. And he's a pretty bright kid and probably looks at it and goes, eh, maybe that's not the right spot at this level. But if John Rice probably wants to play quarterback, there are places that absolutely would take him to do that. Porky, what are you seeing that is causing that reaction? Oh, breaking news. The Texans fired coach and GM Bill O'Brien. Oh, really? After he gave himself play-calling duties yesterday. And lost for the fourth time consecutively this year? Whoa, that's big news. In the middle of the season like this. You, so you, you have two openings Not the now middle. in the middle. Not the middle. Well, you this know what I mean. Week, this is week five. But these are two openings. I, I mean, you've got... Wow, that's huge. Congrats Bill to John. is out... Texans owner Cal McNair has fired Bill O'Brien as coach and GM. More details are coming. Coaching carousel starts in October. Giddy up. Didn't have much choice there in my opinion. Congrats to Deshaun Watson. We will clearly try and catch up with John Harris uh, a little bit later this week. I'm not going to try and do that in real time this afternoon. I would imagine he's got a few things going on his plate right now. Bill O'Brien, 52-48 and 48 in seven seasons as the head coach of the Texans. Wow. So the whole head coach GM experiment didn't work out. Can't believe that. Marcus Spears. I was was, uh, turning the volume down, but I did hear Marcus Spears just say they're talking about it on NFL Live right now. He said, You're the Houston Texans. You pick up the phone and you immediately call Eric Bianami. Could not possibly be worse, even though he hasn't been a head coach, than what you've just had. So, yeah. Yeah. Winners and losers is coming up. 601-879-4395 on the C Spire text line. You can send us yours. We'll get to those. We're also going to talk to Hogman coming up in just a couple of minutes. (laughs) We'll see what he's got to say to Mr. Haydad.
Hour number two on this Monday, Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Thank you for being with us. Want to be part of the conversation? Ceasefire text line. Best way to do it, 601-879-4395. It's 4 o'clock on a Monday. That means it is time for winners and losers. All I do is win. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. You know how it works. You send them to us. We give you ours as well. What did you like from the weekend? What did you not like from the weekend? And we have a uh, a guest. We don't normally do this. We'll go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau, a guest to lead us off in winners and losers. Hogman, who is a regular listener to the show, a regular texter on the C Spire text line, sent us a message and said, hey, guys, I'm glad to talk today. Well, Hogman, I think you've earned it. What's up, buddy? What about it? How are y'all fellas doing today? Man, it could, couldn't be much better. Couldn't be much better. So... Let's get right to it. Give me your winners. What did you like? What? Yeah, this is your chance, Hogman, to unload. Oh, well, it's not going to be that bad, boys. You know, I mean, your middle linebacker for the Arkansas Razorbacks had 20 tackles. Bumper he grew up wanting to be a hog. He is a hog, and now he is playing like a hog. You know, it's just the baby steps in seeing professional coaches take over a team that are not, you know, big-name coaches. You didn't even know who Sam Pittman was, you know? And they know football. And football is about a big old heartbeat, as your famous man Houston Nutt said. And you can see that the heartbeat's coming back. So, yes, we are very excited to be Arkansas Razorbacks today. Hogman, let me ask you this. When it was announced that it was Sam Pittman who was going to be the head coach, did you know who he was at the time? Yes. You know, uh, anybody that comes in and plays with big offensive linemen, uh, you know, people that are going to the NFL, it's not hard to recognize who coaches that side of the ball. You know, it, it's I've been a fan, been watching these hogs, since I was a little boy, Little Rock, Arkansas, Billy Ray Smith. You know, I, I can name you several, several players over the years that, you know, uh, they Arkansas boys, and, and you know, they just love the game of football, and they're famous, you know, because of what they do. Let, let me ask you this, Hogman. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap up here, and I do appreciate you jumping on with us this afternoon. Given what the last – Two and a half years have been like. Oh, it's just been horrible, you know. But, but what was this. Saturday night like for you when you oh. finally get that win and you get the release and you go, "It is finally over. We don't have to talk about the streak anymore." You know, it, it's racing home at, at nearly nine forty-five at night to see the last four or five minutes of a victory that you know is it's been a long time coming, you know. And, I mean, how to end it so well, your defense had to win it for you. They certainly did. Made some uh, big plays at the uh, at the end and able to hang on, and I know it had to be a sweet feeling. Hogman, we always appreciate you listening to the show. 
We appreciate your text messages, and it's good to visit with you this afternoon. Thanks for the call. That was Hogman joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. All right. So let's get into winners and losers from the weekend. We always begin with winners unless you just desperately want to start with a loser. Borky, lead us off. Uh, Southern Miss, especially Frank Gore Jr. That had to feel really, really good to get your first one of the year after blowing uh, two leads in consecutive weeks. So running the football uh, with, as a lot of you probably feel old right now, Frank Gore Jr.'s son ran for over a hundred yards in a college fo- or Frank Gore's son ran for over a hundred yards in a college football game, and they get a big one over North Texas. You feel good for for those guys. They've been through a lot. And uh, the young Scotty Walden on getting his first win. So Southern Miss, congrats to them. Hey, Dad, give me a winner. Georgia. I thought they were incredibly impressive. I went back and watched that game. Uh, obviously, it's good for the brand, but they were they were dominant. And Stetson Bennett, you know, from what we know of of Kirby Smart, not much for making the change when things are rolling. So don't know that. We might not see a lot of JT Daniels this year. Stetson Bennett really had it going there. They dominated Auburn, made Bo Nix look silly, ran the ball at will. Uh, just, just a really, really impressive. They showed why they're going to be in the race the whole way through for an SEC and possibly a national title. Yeah, I don't know if there's enough offense there with Stetson Bennett. Like, I mean, it, it didn't doesn't matter like if you only give it up six points. Punch. Yeah, I know. I, I know. Doesn't make any difference. That that defense might have as much. That might be the most talented defense in the country. My first winner today, Sergio, Sergio, Sergio Garcia wins the Sanderson Farms Championship. One shot victory over Peter Malnati. Spectacular weather. Three years and five months since Sergio has won. First time to win after becoming a father. Had to make it feel a little bit different. Hit a five-wood that just cleared a bunker and set up an eagle putt from inside four feet to tie for the lead and won the Sanderson Farms Championship with an eight-iron to 30 inches for birdie on the final hole. He said the perfect ending for an amazing week. Peter Malnati's only win on the PGA Tour came at CCJ five years ago when he rallied from five shots behind with a career-best 63, but he couldn't get his second win yesterday as it was Sergio's time. I saw Rick Cleveland tweet on Saturday night, and I think I agree with what he said. He said he thought Sergio Garcia winning this golf tournament would be really big for the Sanderson Farms Championship. And I really agree with what Rick said. You're talking about a major champion, a guy who is a household name to not only golf fans, but non-golf fans, just just casual sports fans who are like, oh yeah, that is Sergio. I think that's a big deal. That was a great win. All four rounds in the 60s, fires a final round 68. Borky, did you make it out at all this weekend from a, a coverage standpoint? I could not because uh, we decided, and by we, I mean somebody else decided that this was the weekend we needed to assemble a swing set. <laughs> so, okay. so yeah, never mind, you did not. <laughs> that was uh, an adventure, but man, the weather was incredible. I watched a lot of the coverage, and I mean, it, like you said, having Sergio win the way he did, by the way, putting with his eyes closed. Yep. 
which is, I mean, think about that. But uh, a lot of named guys played well. I need to try that because I couldn't put any worse. You know, it it may be something there. I feel like he's a little bit better and practices a little bit more than you on the green, so maybe he's able to get away with that. But, you know, try things. But I think you're on to something with high-level players playing well, and even though there weren't any fans and stuff like that, the course looked like it was in great shape and the weather was amazing. So now that the prize money is boosted like we talked about last year leading up to it, you get the Masters invite, all that good stuff. Um, That was a really nice audition for guys that have never played the tournament before. Yeah. Walks away with a million, too. Sergio, absolutely a winner. Any other winners you guys want to throw in? Barry Odom. Yeah, that was okay. a really, really well-called game. Yeah, and now, he, he had a good game plan. You can imagine that when he watched well, the LSU Missouri film. Former Missouri head co- coach who is the defensive coordinator for Sam Pittman at Arkansas. Yep. Uh, you can imagine when he watched the LSU film that he thought Bo Pelini was clinically insane. because He's a madman. I mean, just out of his mind. Uh, but the, the rush three, drop eight thing has worked in the past, but that, that's a bunch of guys... For Arkansas, that are under-recruited. They played a couple of walk-ons during the game. Didn't start them, but walk-ons played. Former two-stars played. A team that, outside of Bumper Pool, who was a phenomenal linebacker, pretty overmatched, and they had a great game plan to stop the air raid. I mean, K.J. Costello threw 59 passes for just over 300 yards. So Arkansas decided, hey, you want to take five yards? You can have five yards. You are not getting behind us at all, and it forced... K.J. Costello into a handful of mistakes, and that won the football game. Um, Jeff Levy is a winner. The offensive coordinator for Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin's who everybody talks about. And obviously Lane Kiffin has a, a background. He's helping with game plan, planning, great offensive mind, loves to draw up plays. But he has very openly said... I'm taking on the role of CEO. I'm running the program. Not calling plays allows me to focus on other things that need to be focused on during a game by the head coach. My guess, that is partly because of the model that he saw from Nick Saban in the time that he was at Alabama. Jeff Levy's calling the plays, and his play calling has been outstanding for two games. We will get to losers when we come back, plus uh, some of what you sent into the Ceasefire text line. We'll be right back. All right, continue the winners and losers on this Monday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Hey, Dad, lead us off with the losers. Whew, gosh, should I just stick with Auburn? I, I don't know. No, we'll, we'll, we got to go with Mississippi State. Uh, they did not play well. We talked last week about, wow, if State had played a clean game, they could have beaten LSU by 20. Well, what if State had played a clean game this time? They didn't. Four turnovers is too many. Costello now has, what, five interceptions in two games and seven turnovers uh, total. That's not good enough. Uh, losing Kylan Hill early in the game obviously was a huge game changer for Mississippi State. Uh, you look at Johnson and Marks, the two freshmen, they, they touched the ball 37 times between them. I mean, what would Kylan Hill have done with those touches? We don't know. It looks like he'll be back this week, so that's good news. And yep. then defensively, I thought they played really well, but they had a couple of busts that, that led to some easy touchdowns for Arkansas. Arkansas took advantage of every break State gave them and won the football game. State played it's possibly – uh, the worst it possibly could have and lost. And now they've got to rebound against a Kentucky team that 
you look at the schedule. Kentucky plays what Georgia and Tennessee, then our Georgia and Florida the next couple weeks. They play. They have two hard games coming up after this Mississippi State game. They're looking at zero and five if they can't beat State. They're going to be desperate. You mentioned wounded animal earlier, so State's got to get it corrected and get it corrected very very quickly. Yeah. Borky, you got a loser. Uh, under betters for Texas TCU. Did you see the way that game Ooh. ended? Oh, Ooh. safety. Oh, the over under is sixty three. TCU has the ball, and the score at that moment is 33-29. TCU has the ball, I think, eight seconds left in the fourth quarter in their own territory. They decide to take a snap, run backwards for a while, and take a safety to end the game, thus hitting the over. Horrible beat. But, hey, if you bet, a, if you bet the over, congrats to you. But, ooh, yeah, what a terrible say, beat. It, it, is a, it is the baddest of bad beats, unless... You had the other side in which it is like maybe the greatest backdoor cover in the history of sports betting. If you're betting the under on a Big 12 game, you got bigger problems. What are you thinking, buddy? Bet the over. It's the Big 12. Texas is back, by the way. Hook them horns. What is it everybody says life's too short to bet the under? Yeah. Yeah. Red, Red River Shootout brought to you by Nerf Guns this year. <laughs> ooh. Ooh. Um, Put Oklahoma on the losers list. With apologies to America's team, Ooh. the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, that's not good. So, landed in Memphis about lunchtime, 12-15, jumped in the truck, flipped on the radio, and that's the game that was on. Brad Sham has been the play-by-play radio announcer for the Cowboys for a long time, and he's pretty good. Man, he's seen enough. <laughs> he goes, this... Defense is an abomination. I don't know that I've ever, this is borderline unprofessional to be running this out on the field. Now, in terms of the opposite side, being down 31-14 at the half to the Cleveland Browns created another opportunity for you to be thankful that Dak Prescott was your fantasy quarterback because Obviously, all they're going to do is throw for the rest of the game, and he throws for over 500 yards, but felt like it was kind of hollow yards. Cowboys are have, not very good. I have a, a hot take. You can mark it down. I don't think Dak Prescott's going to be the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys next year. That is the first time you've said anything close to that. I just don't – I don't I, – I, I I think that the Cowboys are they're, – they're going downhill. I think Dak will want to get out of there. He's playing well. It's not his fault, but – it is is that team is just not good. I don't think the Cowboys are doing anything right by him in terms of what they're they're providing for him. And on top of the, the way that this whole contract thing is gone, I think he's going to look to get out. Ceasefire text line: Dak having the best season ever and can't buy a win. Yeah. Loser: the rock version of Careless Whisper bump music. Uh huh. Rudy sent us a meme that said, oh, no, we suck again. This was me watching the state game this weekend. Josh says, winner. George Kittle out for two weeks and exploded with 100% receptions last night against the Eagles. Loser, Oklahoma. They've got two losses to Kansas State and Iowa State, the two teams that lost to Sunbelt teams in the opening weekend of the season. Got any more of them transfer quarterbacks? Said Lincoln Riley. (laughs) Although, in fairness, 
I don't know that quarterback's really the issue. It's not. It's, Spencer Rattler wasn't perfect. Their defense was brutal. Kansas State gave Kleeman an extension today. And once again, I'm just like, who are you bidding against? You guys lost to Arkansas State two weeks ago. Was there a line out the door to hire this guy? I think he's a pretty good coach, but you just added probably $10 million to his buyout. Who are you talking about? I don't, Kleeman? Uh, Chris Clyde. Yeah, is it Kleeman or Kleeman? I don't know. but I never can remember. I, I think like, it's Clyde. Okay, fine. It doesn't matter. Like, why are you doing this? Who was who was who was hitting around that they were going to steal this guy away from you? In after you know fourteen games as head coach, I, I just don't get it. You know what Will Muschamp's buyout is, by the way? What is it? Thirteen. Thirteen point <laughs> two million. They might not. I mean, they might not fire him just because they can't. Yeah. When you hire an offensive coordinator who says, I don't like tempo, that's how you get an 18-play, 73-yard drive to run out the clock when you're down 14. You still have two timeouts, and and you didn't score. You didn't score! We don't have enough time today to do everything we need to do. Because every SEC game had a whole bunch of storylines. A bunch of It'll spill. I mean, it's great. We got five days in the week, so it's great. We'll spill into tomorrow. Still talking about games from uh, from last weekend, and we've got a lot to dissect with Mississippi State coming up in just a second. A couple of other winners and losers that you have sent to us: winner Luke Logan, kicker for Ole Miss; loser Matt Ruffalo, kicker for Kentucky. Fair. Logan Tom knows Brady how that a goes, winner, man. huh? Logan knows how that goes to miss that extra point. Yeah. Tom Brady, a winner proving he still got it. What a comeback. Also, Garantano for Tennessee. Impressive game again. They got people, Georgia Saturday. That's going to be interesting. Yeah. And people keep talking about Brady. I mean, going into this week, it was all dead on Brady. I, I don't know what they're watching. I've said it for weeks now, but yet again, he's still got it. Five touchdowns in a two score comeback. That guy can still play. They are. A, a dark horse Super Bowl contender. They are. Speaking of winners, yeah. I can't believe neither one of us said Borky. The Saints. Who that? Down, yeah, that felt good. Down 14 nothing, And I was, I was, I think you may have seen on Twitter, I was ready to write off the sport of football. Let's shut it down. COVID precautions. But the, a tremendous comeback. Scored five straight possessions. Without Michael Thomas, without Lattimore and and Jenkins on the, on defense, lose Ramchek midway through the game. I mean, they were decimated by injury, and they. I mean, and they're playing the Lions, who can't believe Matt Patricia is still still employed at this moment in time. But still, a good, still. A very good win. I felt like I agree with what you said on Twitter, Borky. That it felt like a get right game, and things will. You know, it's like hitting the reset button a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you're down fourteen <laughs> nothing, and you've run one offensive play. Not possession, one play. Buddy and, almost turned it off. <laughs> and Breeze was I had the remote. Breeze was good. I mean, yeah. the arm is not there, but the accuracy was accuracy. there. The throw to Traquan Smith is oh as gosh. good a throw as you can possibly make. I mean, right on the money with everything on the line. Um, here's a winner for you, Dave Portnoy, the president of Barstool, Barstool Sports. He goes by Stool Presidente on Twitter. He tweeted, he actually retweeted himself. He says, I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. And he was referring to his earlier tweet in which he had said, when Trump 
who fits every at-risk category known to man, comes strutting out of the hospital, trash-talking how weak COVID really is. It will be the greatest day in the history of the stock market. <laughs> it's probably worth some gloating. By the way, stocks jumped to session highs after Trump says he will be discharged later Monday. Dow up 400 points. Nailed it. <laughs> Kind of saw that one coming. Hey, um, hey, what was the atmosphere like in Davis Way? It wasn't when the cowbells were ringing early in the game. It didn't sound that different than a full crowd, other because they had the piped-in crowd noise as well. Um, but that said, on the fourth and one play where they threw it, first off, I thought of you. As soon as he dropped back the pass, I was like, here comes Richard. I did, Logan. too. <laughs> but <laughs> there was a sound. On 14 of the 40. Run the bleeping ball! It happened. And then there was a sound. There was a sound of 5,000 cowbells hitting the stands all at once. I mean, it was one of the loudest noises I've ever heard. You could, I, I was like, I know what that sound is. I've heard it on the micro level before. Never like that. It was incredible. In fairness to the guy in row 14 that's mad that they didn't run, the play call was – it was there. Yeah, yeah. The execution was bad. Execution was Story bad. Story of the night. Story of the night for Mississippi State. Well, when we come back, we have not – I mean, we've talked around it a little bit, but we have not spent any appreciable amount of time on Mississippi State and Arkansas from Saturday. Some of you are saying, yeah, that's okay. Can we just not? <laughs> uh, but no, we can't not. We will do that next. We'll get into all of it. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. The prettiest thing that happened in Mississippi State's game against Arkansas on Saturday night was the 17-yard touchdown pass from K.J. Costello to Javante Payton. That was a thing of beauty. Costello rolling to his left, throws on the run, throws a little bit high, Peyton full extension, toe tap back of the end zone. That was impressive. And that was pretty much it. Beyond that, hey, Dad. <laughs> Arkansas jumps out to a 7 nut to nothing lead on a pick six. Greg Brooks, interception return. State tied it up with 359 left in the first quarter on that Previously mentioned touchdown pass, 527 until the half, 14-7. Arkansas leads it after a 19-yard pass from Felipe Franks to Devion Warren. Franks found Hudson Henry from 12 yards out with 11-21 to go in the third quarter. Arkansas would not score again. They scored their 21st point of the game with 25 minutes to play. Mississippi State would get a late third-quarter touchdown. There was no scoring in the fourth quarter of this game. And I'll be honest with you, Arkansas looked to me, first of all, Mississippi State did not make any plays in the fourth quarter of that game that could have helped themselves out. And there were plays to be made. Oh, my goodness, there were so many opportunities that were there. Arkansas looked to me like a team that absolutely did not know how to win. We've talked about that with Tennessee, right? Jeremy Pruitt has taught Tennessee how to win. 
Sometimes you got to get lucky on that first one, especially when it's been as long as it had been for Arkansas. And they did make some good plays defensively. Bumper pool was outstanding in that game. I, I, I don't. I mean, I think, hey, Dad. And I, I feel bad taking anything away from Arkansas when they finally get it done. But I feel like that game was there for the taking for Mississippi State, you, and they didn't take the, it. you're not wrong to say that Mississippi State lost more than Arkansas won. I I feel that way because State made so many mistakes. Now, Arkansas took advantage of them. Yes. But but State, again, if State plays a clean game, they win pretty easily. And they didn't really even have to play that clean. They still, even with the three interceptions, they still had opportunities uh, to win the game. Uh, A couple of questionable decisions, those four, I mean, fourth and one and run. I, I thought the more questionable decision wasn't to throw it, throw it versus run it. Was not to just kick a field goal. Be, there's nine minutes to go in the game. Be down twenty-one seventeen. When you get the ball back, you're driving to, to take the lead and not just to tie it up anymore. Um, you had two opportunities inside the red zone. You fumbled the punt with five with four and a half to go. Uh, just, just they just consistently did. They, they they made the opposite of plays. They they took they they they, they took it away from themselves. Uh, and they they killed a pretty good defensive effort. That's two weeks in a row now. I mean, Mississippi, Ole Miss gave up 41 points. Mississippi State's defense has given up 41 points in two games so far this year because, uh, you know, they've had two pick sixes against them. Well, Zach Arnett's doing – I mean, he's a miracle worker so far. They're much better defensively than I thought they were going to be. Never thought that State would lose a game 21-14 to 14, uh, this year. I thought for sure it was going to be, well, the offense just couldn't keep up. Um, Costello's got to play a lot better. A lot better. He, he, the offense is designed to run through the quarterback. If he's if he's not doing that, and I don't have a problem. You know, he's forty three of fifty nine for three thirteen. If, that, if that's what they give you, they're not going to give you the stuff. The the deep balls, fine. You know, dink them and dunk them. But three picks is not acceptable. And then of course, you know what we're sort of dancing around is Kylan Hill. You know, he, his first carry of the game, he gets basically knocked out of the game. They had never said for sure what it was. It looked like a concussion, but they never never confirmed that. And he's back this week. But the, the way that Arkansas played defense. They were giving you the checkdowns to the the running back, and that was Jaquavius Marks and Dylan Johnson. They combined for 19 carries and 18 catches, those two freshmen. Well, what if I can give, you know, of those 37 touches, if I can give 30 of those to Kylan Hill, I mean, I think State's going to win the football game at that point because he's going to do better than those two kids did. And they they played all right, and they did okay, but it's Kylan Hill. It's one of the most talented players in the SEC, so – State just made its own bed on Saturday night, and now they have to lie in it. Like I said, if I, if I was going to pull a silver lining out, I think most people, myself included, would have predicted one and one at this point. It's just a really backwards one and one. I don't think anybody thought that they would beat LSU and then lose to Arkansas. If you did do that, I, I need to meet you so we can talk about what we're going to gamble on this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I think your point there's a good one that, you know, one and one is one and one, but is it that simple? Oh no! We know that LSU is a much more talented roster than Arkansas, and so you're thankful mm-hmm. for the win against LSU. Mm-hmm. There was inexplicable defensive coaching by Bo Pelini in the in the win against LSU. Like there, there's nothing that he did that makes sense, right? And so, question: Did, did Dave Odom put a blueprint out there? 
He may have, but his cousin Barry did a better one. <laughs> I say Dave Odom. Yeah. I didn't see a guy, a geeky guy with glasses, you know, in a suit there. Um, and the Dave Odom, box. nice guy. Arkansas Dave, Dave, went with the rare uh, blinds up in the press box. I got to see their coaches the whole night. Um, hmm. Yeah, I don't know if it's the blueprint. I mean, that's that's the Jimmy Lake blueprint, isn't it, from Washington? I mean, that's that's you know, zone defense is zone defense. It, it exists. I don't know why Polini didn't go with it. Like Borky said, just not smart, insane almost. Uh, and, and so State's going to see this going forward. But again, if they can just clean up the turnovers, if Costello can be a little more uh, precise and a little less careless with the ball, they'll they'll be fine. They, they won't have the, these problems. They, they will come out a winner. I thought another telling moment. He talked about. We've talked so much about how different it was going to be for Mississippi State watching a team pass, pass, pass. It's really different to watch a quarterback scramble for a first down and slide, and not get there after you know a decade of Chris Relf and Dak Prescott and Nick Fitzgerald who would have just flung themselves forward and, and gotten the first down. Costello said in post game he thought he had it, and obviously you know he's pretty, he's being coached to slide because he's not a running quarterback. But that was a moment where I was like, man, that that talk about a difference between the past and now. You think about Garrett Schrader last year getting thrown up in the air. And Costello coming up just a little bit short on the slide there. That was a, a very telling moment for Mississippi State. Where do you go from here? Go to Kentucky. You get back on the horse. Uh, I mean, you know, you I go know up. literally where you go from here, but mentally. I, I was mean, making my point. Let me talk. Okay. Okay. Uh, I mean, you, you go up there and you nothing's going to change for Mississippi State. It's not like Leach is going to go, you know what, we got to really talk about adding some run and maybe come up with a package for Schrader. None of that's happening. You're going to go up there and throw the ball 50-plus times a game against a, a Kentucky defense that has not been good through the first game. They made Bo, Nooks look, Bo Nix look like a really good passer. Matt Corral is a really good passer, and he punished them for it. So you, you feel pretty good about your chances up there. You're going to have Kylan Hill back. And if you do, if you do things right and you don't turn the ball over four times, I mean, you're, you turn the ball over four times against LSU. It's one thing when you throw for 623 yards that can sort of overcome four turnovers. But when you're not doing that and you're not going to do it every week, you can't turn the ball over like that. You got to value the ball a little bit more. So if they go up there and they play clean, they'll be fine. And if they're two, if they're two and one playing Texas A&M, who should be one and two coming to Starkville next week because they have Florida this weekend. And you sort of see what happens. But if they lose, well, then, you know, it's time to start talking about, okay, you know, what does State have to do to get back on track? But as for now, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not, believe it or not, I'm not going to overreact too much to this. It's a bad loss. It probably shouldn't have, it, well, it shouldn't have happened, but it did happen. You have the opportunity this week to just to set everything right. If you're two and one after three games, I don't think there's, there's a lot of you know, commotion on the ranch here in Starkville. Did you overreact after the week one win? I think I did. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't think that he was going to come out and throw for 623 yards, but, you know, try convincing me last Friday that State was only going to score 14 points. You couldn't sure. have done it. You couldn't have done it. So I, I, I thought that maybe, I mean, it came a little too easy in that game for Mississippi State. And, did you know you, know, you were think, strutting into the office gift today? I didn't, I didn't notice it. I didn't, I, I didn't do that. No. No. <laughs> Sorry. So. So, what um, Alabama fan are we going to have on next week, by the way? Whew. I mean, it's not like Alabama has endured a long... I'm just wondering. I'm just, I'm just wondering. Yeah. Hogman's been a really good sport 
for a long time. I'm just saying I want fair and equal time for all all our SEC member institutions. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah. N- noted Alabama but, hater over here. That's true. Richard Cross hates. He does not respect the tide. I hope Nick Saban's what, um, listening. I, I know we've got limited time here. What do you think's up with the interceptions? I don't know. You know, I don't know. A little too much faith in his arm, a little, little bad decision-making. I don't know exactly what it is, but they're bad. The interceptions are all bad. There's, these aren't balls getting tipped up into the air and, and getting picked off. He's, he's throwing them to the other guys. So, yeah, got to fix that. Sports Talk Mississippi, we will take a timeout. We'll look at some of the numbers from that game on Saturday night when we come back with you. Jeff wants to know if I'm going to talk about the Astros-Oakland Athletics game. It is going on right now. They're playing it at Dodger Stadium. So you got two California sites, two Texas sites for the Division Series round games. And you know what they're doing right now? They're uh, they're playing home run derby. Bottom of the fifth inning, it's four to three. So the Astros hit a couple, uh, or uh, the A's hit a couple of them to uh, go up, and then the Astros followed it up with a couple of home runs. Uh, that fourth inning was uh, was fairly wild. But um, trash can must have made the trip. I suppose. I suppose, or pitching is not very good. One of those two things. So we've gone from uh, best of three in the wild card round to best of five in the division round. And this is uh, this is game one of the division round playoffs. A's are up four to three, bottom of the fifth inning. And again, they are playing it at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles. You've got the uh, Yankees and the Rays coming up later this evening from San Diego. And then tomorrow, the scene will shift to Texas, where they're playing games in Houston and in Arlington. Arlington, by the way, is going to host the World Series. Borky, I know you sat and watched Mississippi State and Arkansas on uh, on Saturday night. What was what was your takeaway? Uh, it, it's... The mistakes are the difference, and then Kylan Hill's injury. I mean, uh, one way to combat the rush three, drop eight, is have a a really good back out of the backfield catching the football and beating people in space. Now, Mississippi State's going to see defenses with better personnel moving forward, but I never, uh, never is a big word, I don't expect many people to run anything other than zone defenses moving forward. So Mississippi State's going to have to find a way to combat that. I think Kylan Hill will help. And his presence on Saturday may have changed things, especially in a one-score game. But that's the recipe. And that's what you're going to see every single week moving forward against teams that have much better personnel, with the exception of that linebacker who is an elite-level player. You're going to see that every week now against teams with better personnel. And I'm I think cu- you'll see some of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think just everybody is going to exclusively run nothing but zone drop eight, rush three. That's all you see. I mean, see. there will be slight variations, but you Georgia understood and Alabama my point. Will play man. Georgia and Alabama will play man because they can. They have the talent to lock guys up. Everybody else part. will. Everybody else, though, yeah, you're going to see a ton of keep it in front of you, keep it in front of you. Yeah, I don't expect the same play call every game for the rest of the season. Uh, but that's that's the recipe. That's what Washington did. That's the recipe, and they've got to find a way to overcome it. Kylan Hill's health will help a lot 
and he probably would have been the difference. But then again, if you do see zone, you can't push the football into spaces where it doesn't exist. And that's two games now. I mean, it happened last week as well. Critical turnovers against LSU that they were able to overcome. But critical turnovers in critical parts of the game last week and this week, if you don't clean that up, it doesn't matter what the scheme is if you're still turning the football over in critical points of the game. Hey, Dad, was the zone the difference in the yards after catch? I mean, 360 yards after catch against LSU because they were in man, you beat your guy, and then all of a sudden there's nobody behind you? 100%. You think about all those crossing routes that State was able to hit where the guy's just in front of his man and he, he cuts up after the catch and he's there. And this time, as soon as you catch the ball, there's, there's somebody there. There's a couple of guys there. Arkansas did a fantastic job of keeping everything in front of them. And that's why you see the two running backs combined for 18 catches. They just kept checking down and checking down. Arkansas had three players with double-digit tackles. Bumper Pool again led the way. Hogman alluded to this with 20 in the game. Grant Morgan had 15, and Jalen Catalan had 13. Errol Thompson was leading tackler for Mississippi State, had 13 tackles in the game. Mississippi State did get three sacks, only one for Arkansas. Is Thompson okay, by the way? He's fine. Yeah, talk to him after the game. He's okay. His state, I mean, only gave up 14 points on defense, only gave up 276 yards. I tell you that on Friday, what do you think the score is? You know? 60 to 14, something like that. cover. Yeah, anyway. I mean, yeah. So defensively, like I said, Zach Arnett is doing a fantastic job. He's got those guys playing really, really well. Um, You know, they had a couple of busts, sure, but I don't go into games expecting shutouts in in, in this day and age of college football. So it's going to happen. But defensively, it's incredible. Defense is not the problem for Mississippi State. It was offense on Saturday night. And, you know, that's that's what Mike Leach's job is. So, you know, I would imagine that this week uh, there will be a lot of focus in practice on ball security and keeping, uh, keeping uh, you know, the ball out of the opposing team's hands. Were you wowed by Felipe Franks? No. Played all right. He's competent. He's competent. That's, that's all he is. Which, is. which is a far cry from where Arkansas has been at quarterback the last couple of years. They're they're better all over the field. I mean, and I like to hate on Auburn, right? But this, why did you hire Chad Morris? That guy can't do anything. They didn't. They look like a terrible JV team last year. I was there. Moorhead put up fifty four on them. They change everything out to get rid of Chad Morris. Oh, all of a sudden, they look like a college football team again. I don't think it's a coincidence. Your buddy Ryan Brown pointed out uh, that Chad Morris, after leaving. The program immediately got better. Offensive coordinator at Clemson, their offense got better. Coach at SMU, they got better. Now Arkansas. And oh, by the way, Auburn doesn't necessarily look better with him there. No. College football fix is next. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Monday afternoon. Richard Cross and Michael Borky and Brian Haydad. You want to be a part of the conversation, you can do so on the C Spire text line. That number is 601-879-4395. At C Spire, they're always asking the big questions like, why wait for the next device to get the device you want? 
Other carriers make you sit tight until the next big devices come out, and then maybe they'll give you a deal on the iPhone you want, not at C Spire, because, well, that's bull. That's why they're bringing you the best deal on your choice of iPhone today, whether you're upgrading, adding a new line, or switching from another carrier. This is the deal you've been holding out for. Right now, you can get any iPhone $100 off at your local C Spire store and online at cspire.com. Again, the number 601 879 Four three nine five. Time right now for the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough, including the F-150 best-selling truck in America for 43 straight years. Test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. We made picks on Friday. Hey, Dad, you are no longer in the doghouse. Well, I mean, overall you are. But for this particular week, you are not. You remember the records from week one? Borky and I both went four and three. Hey, Dad went a dismal one and six. Hey, Dad, a little more respectable this week. Still below 500 at 3-4, and four, but not 1-6. and six. I uh, I just replicated my first week's performance, 4-3 and three again. That would be 8-6 and six for the first two weeks of the season. Is that right? Did I do that? Yeah, that's right. And uh, Michael Borky, 2-5. These were the games. South Carolina at Florida, 16.5 was the number. Florida did not cover. Missouri at Tennessee. Tennessee was a 12-point favorite. Vols covered. Alabama covered against Texas A&M with relative ease. Wrong team favored in Kentucky as Ole Miss won in overtime. Georgia covered. We all three missed on that one against Auburn, where Auburn was a 7.5-point favorite. I'm sorry, Georgia was a 7.5-point favorite. I screwed that up on Friday. I screw it up again today. So nevertheless, I get that one against my brand. Yeah, nevertheless, uh, Georgia covered. Mississippi State did not cover against Arkansas. LSU did cover against Vanderbilt. So, the games from the weekend, Alabama 52-24 to against Texas A&M. I was not able to watch any of that game. It was going on at the same time uh, that Ole Miss in Kentucky was mm-hmm. happening. You guys watched some of that? What were your takeaways? Uh, $75 million gets you a lot less these days than it used to. <laughs> I mean, what are they doing? What are they doing over there? They're not any closer to beating Alabama today than they were when they fired Kevin Sumlin. Um, I mean, they, they're just – it's typical Texas A&M. They're overrated. They don't have what it takes to, to win the big games in the SEC. How about the efficiency of Mac Jones, Borky? 20 of 27, 435 yards, four touchdowns. One interception. Devontae Smith had six catches. John Meachie, the uh, the new player for Alabama, five catches for 181 and two touchdowns. Just go out and get get you a transfer if you need one. Jalen Waddle, five catches, 142 and a touchdown. Najee Harris had two. Alabama didn't do a ton on the ground running the football, but they have kind of changed who they are. They are explosive through the air. And Sark has taken advantage of those offensive weapons they've got. Yeah, it's uh, probably pretty easy to be a play caller when your receivers get open no matter what you call. I mean, you could call four verts every play and still win most of your games. So, um, 
Curious, though, to see what Kellen Mond's production actually was. Because we spent all summer talking about Ole Miss LSU and how a lot of people nationally were just putting so much emphasis on one performance in a game in which one team got out to such a big lead early, it was very clear they were disinterested and gave up a bunch of yards, especially later. I wonder if that's a factor here at all. Because Mond, while not taking the step forward that he's supposed to have been taken for two years now, had moderate success through the air. A&M's receivers did get open against what I, I thought, and a lot of people think, is an improved to elite Alabama defense. And they had some success through the air. So is this another Alabama team that we've seen in recent years that is susceptible through the air against the better teams they'll play? It's probably not going to matter for most all of their games, with the exception of one or two. But that's interesting to me. Because Mond is not any different than he was a year ago or the year prior. He's an average college quarterback. And had moderate success against Alabama on Saturday. But were they disinterested because they were blowing him out and kind of laid I mean, down? His or... second touchdown pass made it fourteen to fourteen. Yeah, they were in the I was game. Say, they tied it at there. fourteen in the second quarter. Yeah, and then so does from it, there, is it, it was 17, and then okay, a late score for A and M to make it a little closer. But oh, by the way, Alabama a late score as well. Yeah, I. I that's the big question going into this week. Do I think Ole Miss can beat Alabama? Absolutely not. But I wonder if this means that they can still continue their success through the air. Yeah, you know, last about, year it was, it was it was success on the ground for Ole Miss against LSU because they brought out Plumlee and you know you didn't really have a whole lot on him and he just he got a ton of yards. I, I could see them getting some yards, but I don't know if they'll get a lot of points. Is the problem? And Alabama was minus fifteen minutes in time of possession. They scored 52 points in 22 minutes and 18 seconds of possession time. Well, when you have uh, three 60-plus-yard touchdowns, that happens. These were Alabama scoring drives. Three plays, 80 yards, a minute 18. 766 and 314. 766 and 234. Pick six. 864, 59 seconds. They ran eight, they ran plays, eight in less plays in a minute. In 59 That's seconds. Insanity. Um, three plays, 75 yards, a minute 39. Ten plays, 68 yards, and a field goal. That was 532 in the fourth quarter. And then four plays, 75 yards, a minute 52. With a 63 I mean, quick, yard touchdown pass there. Say what? With a 63 yard touchdown pass. So it's not, they were trying to kill the clock, but the guy got loose, and that was that. Yeah. Christian Harris had 10 tackles for Alabama to lead the way. No sacks. They did not sack Kellen Mond in the game. For whatever that's worth. So, Alabama pretty impressive in their win. Florida 38-24 over South Carolina. You, Hey, Dan, I think you mentioned it earlier. So, on the final drive of the game, it's insane. South Carolina trailing 38-24 has a drive that lasts 7 minutes 
covers, what, 75, 80 yards and ends in an interception. What were they doing? It worked. It was a turnover on downs that it ended on. Let's let's also throw a couple other things in there. They finished the game with two timeouts. And there's a play on here. I think it's, let me see if I can find it, third and two from the floor to 17. Two minutes and 30 seconds left in the game. They ran the play clock all the way down and then ran a fullback dive that didn't get the first down. I mean, 18 it, it, plays, 74 yards, seven minutes and 23 seconds, and they turned it over on downs with 48 seconds remaining. Yeah. How, how, and they were do down 14 at the start of that. I mean, I know this is what we, this is what he said, right? Can we be surprised? Mike Bobo said it. I don't believe in tempo. That's not what I. That's not how we want to run things. But there's situation. Well, mean, to your point, there, there's situational things where you kind of have to change your approach. Dumb people don't change their approach. They just keep doing the same dumb things over and over again. Truth. And to keep those two timeouts in your pocket. This has got to be it for Muschamp. All right, they're gonna fire him. They, they, they can't. They're gonna have to find thirteen million dollars. They can't go on like this, just bleeding like this. They can't. Consecutive weeks of inexplicable end-of-game management. You just just can't go on like that. There's high school coaches all over the state of Mississippi that would have handled that better. Tennessee pretty impressive against Missouri. They were impressive offensively. They gave up two field goals and a late third-quarter touchdown. Only allowed 12 points in the game. We'll talk about Tennessee's win over Missouri. We'll talk about LSU's win over Vanderbilt. And a little more about Georgia's win over Auburn. When we continue with you at Sports Talk Mississippi on a Monday. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydev, thank you for being with us. We're walking through the games that happened in the SEC. We obviously talked a lot about Ole Miss Kentucky earlier. Did the same thing about Mississippi State and Arkansas. Made our way through three games from the weekend in the SEC. A little bit on Florida, South Carolina. A little bit on Alabama, Texas A&M. What about Missouri and Tennessee? I mean, this is the one I watched the least. But capacity for Neyland Stadium is twenty three three eighty five. They had twenty one one fifty nine there. A pretty good crowd. Nobody. I don't. Man, I guess it's not surprising. Nobody is selling out. That's hyperbole. Except for Georgia. But yeah, Georgia. You know, people were shaming Georgia fans on Twitter for enjoying a football game outside. But Tennessee didn't. Florida didn't. I mean, Ole Miss didn't. I don't know about Mississippi State. I never saw an announced sellout of their allotment, at least, and I feel like you kind of would have, you know, advertised that. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But that is something that I've seen all over college football. People are struggling to sell their allotments for a a ton of reasons, obviously, but that is interesting to me. 13,564 was the attendance for Arkansas-Mississippi State. So that's not 25%, right? No, a little I bit. Have to below. Do the math. It's 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 a little it's a little below. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, it's about roughly sixty thousand is capacity. So about fifteen thousand in the seating bowl, and then some premium areas. 
Yeah, and that's not a shot at any. I mean, it's just they they it's have everybody, to. Yeah, it's everybody, yeah, everybody. They have to raise the prices like crazy in order to make it worthwhile. And then you've got people that generally don't want to be in crowds for a lot of reasons and things like that. It's but um, nobody's doing it right now. Eric Gray had 16 carries for 105 yards and a touchdown for Tennessee. Ty Chandler carried it 19 times for 90 yards and a touchdown. And Jarrett Garantano had two rushing touchdowns himself. Uh, net 14 yards rushing. Garantano's passing numbers don't blow you away, but he made some really good throws early in the game. 14 of 23, 190 yards and a touchdown. He was sacked twice. And Missouri just didn't really do anything. When you look at the team numbers in this game, Missouri ran 62 plays for 344 yards. And there's a time where that was a respectable number in college football. This ain't that time. They're very bad at quarterback. Yeah. Connor Bazalak is... Primarily the guy, he was 13 to 21 for 218 with no touchdowns and an interception. The, Missouri has got the problem of, like, who's good on the team? Yeah. Like, name a star from Missouri. If you can't, if you have a football team, Roundtree's good, but, I mean, he's not, my, my, my hot take of him leading the SEC and rushing is not going to happen. No. Uh, I mean, he's good, but, could the average college? We're three guys. Who, this is what we do for a living. Could the average college football fan, if I said name a Missouri player, could they name one? Kelly Bryant. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, is Chase Daniel still there? I don't know. Brad Smith. Uh, yeah. They, they, when you don't have one guy, I mean, the average college football fan knows who Kylan Hill is. The average college football fan, I mean, they might know him for the wrong reasons, but they know who Elijah Moore is. They, you know, a guy on the team. Nobody knows a Missouri player. I couldn't pick Larry Roundtree out of a lineup of two. And he was the third best back on the field on yeah. Saturday. Yeah. Gray oh, yeah. and Chandler, Chandler and are, Gray. Yeah, that's a dynamic duo there. They are really good. I mean, Chandler's yeah. been doing this for this is year four for him producing like yeah. this. I mean, his freshman year he didn't play that much, but still, he's been around forever. Yeah, he's probably the best player from Missouri is their linebacker Nick Bolton. He had 17 tackles. I mean, he's a first team All Conference player. Probably, although I don't know. When you go to the end of the year and you're, you're naming, you know, you've got four linebackers that are first team All SEC. It, is he going to be in that group? I, I I don't know, but in terms of production, he's pretty good. I I, I don't know. When we look at Missouri's schedule, who are they going to be? They've obviously lost to Alabama and on the road against Tennessee. They will likely lose at LSU this week. They could beat Vanderbilt at home on October yeah. 17th. They can win at South Carolina. Maybe. They can maybe beat Arkansas. Yeah. Maybe. That's about it. Maybe Mississippi State. I mean, at this point, I, you know, I, don't, I don't think State has gimme games. So, I don't know. I do think Vanderbilt's going to go 0-10. I feel bad for Derek Mason because I, I think that he could do well somewhere, but they just don't care about pumping resources. That team is so overmatched. Basically, they every game hard, they though. play. They play hard. Credit. They're playing hard. They just don't have any talent. No. None.
At least they're playing hard for now. Yeah. And that back's yeah. okay. That little running back, I forget his name. Uh, he's okay. And I think that quarterback will end up being good. But he's a true freshman, and he's got no weapons. Other than that, there's not a whole lot there. All right, so let's go to that game. They allowed students to show up. They announced 2,000 as the attendance for the uh, the Vanderbilt-LSU game on Saturday night. LSU jumped out fast, relatively fast. Miles Brennan threw a touchdown pass in the first quarter to Kirkland, John Trey Kirkland. He hooked up early second quarter with Terrace Marshall. Vanderbilt's only points of the game came with 5.07 to go in the second quarter. It was 14-7 to with five minutes left in the first half of the game. LSU answered quickly, though, less than a minute later. Terrace Marshall, a 51-yard touchdown reception for Miles Brennan. Cade York kicked a couple of field goals. John Trey Kirkland had another touchdown reception. And then John Emery uh, put the bow on top with a 12-yard touchdown run with eight minutes to play. LSU, 69 plays, 498 yards of offense. Nice. Vanderbilt ran almost the same number of plays, 68 of them, but for 266 total yards. They averaged 3.9 yards per play. Yeah, they're bad up front. I mean, they they had a couple of transfers, one of which was from Michigan, I think. Uh, He decided to opt out. They had, what was it, 10 or 11 total opt-outs. They're bad up front. A true freshman quarterback. It's just a nightmare. And... I feel bad for him, honestly, Ken, because this Ken is going to be weekly. Ken Seals, the quarterback for Vanderbilt, was 11 of 25 for 113 with a touchdown and two picks. Pretty decent Vanderbilt. numbers for Miles Brennan. 23 of 37, 337 yards, four touchdowns, one interception. And after being sacked seven times last week by Mississippi State, his jersey stayed clean on Saturday night. He was not sacked at all. South Carolina at Vanderbilt this Saturday. If you get arrested on Friday, that's your punishment. That is, make you watch the game. Ugh. That's going to be ugly. That'll be the drunk tank in Nashville. Just lock them up in Vanderbilt Stadium and make them watch that game the next day. The, the movable object meets the resistible force. <laughs> if anything, that's a deterrent. Crime's going to go way down to Nashville. Hey, if you get arrested, you have Imagine to go a PSA, to the Vanderbilt game. Like, if, you wa- if you get arrested this week, you're going to the Vanderbilt game. We're going to make you sit there for all four quarters and you can't have a beer. First weekend of zero crime in Nashville history. By the way, beer 0-1 at Mississippi State. I don't know. Maybe Ugh. they were right. Auburn and Georgia. Georgia in complete control of that football game. Leading 27-3 at the half. I'm sorry, 24-3 at the half. They were up 24 to nothing. Auburn kicked a 20-yard field goal with a minute 38 to go in the first half to get on the board. Say that again one more time. They're down how much? And they kicked a field goal from like the five-yard line. 24 to nothing. <laughs> Minute 38 to go in the half. What What are you doing? Anders Carlson bangs one home from 20 yards. <laughs> you should be and fired. Then first, and then first possession of the second half, 45-yard field goal. Back-to-back field goals for Auburn. That was it in terms of scoring. Don't win games with field goals. Georgia kicked a field goal with 5.51 to play. So Georgia was impressive. I thought this game was incredibly boring. Yes. Like, really boring. Yes. No points scored in the last 20 minutes of the game by either team. And here's something that I I don't love about what Georgia does, and this is kind of a Kirby Smart thing. 
You'll see a pretty aggressive game plan early. Mm-hmm. Georgia gets a lead and they just pack it in. They like they run the four corners from back in the day with with North Carolina. They're like a cat pawn and a dead bird. And once they've got the game won, it's over. Twenty thousand five hundred twenty-four. That's not accurate. Was the attendance? You think it was bigger than that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> by a lot. Really? Including the one guy who wore a uh, a cone of shame tweeted out by my there friend Darren Ali. Yeah, it's like their oh, mask yeah, the, was the, the cone the dog, of shame. Like the, the dog that can't scratch its own ear yeah. cone. I, I, I would have gone and bought like 10 beers and just dumped them into that thing and seen what the guy had done. <laughs> Anybody got a straw? No. <laughs> Drink your way out. Be a man. So Georgia wins 27-6 over Auburn. They improved to 2-0 on the year. Defense is really good. Stetson Bennett 17-28 for 240 with a touchdown and no picks. Sports Talk Jason says, let's be careful with the Tennessee's back stuff. Didn't work out well for Texas or Texas A&M. I don't think they're back, but they're better. They are better. They've won eight games in a row going back to last season. I think the conversation we had about them learning how to win was a reasonable conversation. And Tennessee's in that mode right now where they're winning the games that they're supposed to win. When they are as good or better than their opponent, they're winning. I don't think Tennessee's ready to knock off Alabama and Georgia and Florida yet. I don't think. But moving in that direction, I mean, it's been kind of baby steps. I mean, you, you think about where Tennessee is right now. So they're 2-0 and after playing two SEC games, and their wins are over South Carolina and Missouri. It's obviously not the creme de la creme of the SEC. But Tennessee lost to Georgia State and BYU, and it was not this version of BYU that's really, really good a year ago. It was right. before BYU was very good. And, and then kind of figured out how to get it done a year ago. Started with yeah, Jason, I don't State. think we're necessarily in the Tennessee's back thing, but they are trending in the right direction. Yeah. I was there for the beginning of this. Is the you East were. currently better than the West right now? Not trending, yes. but right now. Yes. Yeah, the top, the top three in the East are better than the top three in the West. Alabama's the best team in the conference, but Florida Georgia are, are close and Tennessee is better than I think than whoever the second best team. I think it's probably still LSU, but I I, I don't know. It'll be close. Yeah, I don't know what Tennessee LSU would look like right now. Astros are now leading eight to five over the Oakland A's. And hey, Dad, if you were watching this game, you would be like, "Hold on, where are they playing that game?" Because Traditionally, the ball does not fly very well at Dodger Stadium. They're playing in the afternoon. Obviously, it's different in the afternoon than it is at night. But, I mean, I've seen multiple right-handed hitters hit home runs to straightaway center field or right of center. That doesn't happen at Chavez Ravine. Let's hope that continues for the Padres later. 
Padres against the Dodgers, right? That should be correct, yes. And that is in Los Angeles? Are they in... Are, are, the one seed doesn't have some sort of home home field here? I don't know. No, 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 no. These are all neutral spots. you got games that are being played in San Diego, like Yankees-Tampa Bay is in San Diego. And then you got games that are being played in Houston and in... Uh, let's see here. Miami and Atlanta. It is in Arlington. Wow. Okay. Well, never mind. Yeah. Miami. I can't find where all of them are with what I'm looking at right now. Anyway. Never mind. Um. A couple of other games of note from the weekend in the top 25. TCU beat Texas. Anything stand out for you in that one? I mean, Texas should be 1-2 and two right now. They should have lost to Texas Tech a week ago, and that would have set up a really sad Red River rivalry game with uh, with Oklahoma. They'd both be 1-2. and two. And The Big 12 is just, just full of teams that aren't good. The Big 12 champion probably not going to make the playoff as it sits, which is great news if you're a Pac-12 fan. Unless you got Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, State sitting out there at 3-0. and Yeah, they'll bottle it like they always do. <laughs> so TCU beats Texas 33-31. Iowa State beats Oklahoma 37-30. The score that made me raise my eyebrows more than any. Navy, after being inexplicably bad against BYU in the opener back on Labor Day. It's been pretty solid since. The Air Force Academy had not played a game, and they were down 20 players. Air Force beat Navy 40-7 to on Saturday. And when I first saw that, I was like, yeah, it's got to be a misprint. No. Nope, not a misprint. Also, UCF at home in Orlando, and UCF's been really impressive so far, led by 18. And Tulsa came back and beat UCF. Shout out to Bunky Perkins. He lives in Tulsa, doesn't he? He does. Um, anything else from the college football weekend? That grabbed your attention. Well, I mean, you hit on that one. Central Florida losing that game was very surprising. Thought they had a good chance to to, to you know be in that discussion for the Group of Five thing. The Memphis SMU game was a really good football game. I mean, Memphis came back. I think SMU ended up winning that game, right? They did. Yeah, but it was twenty four to three, and then also it was twenty seven to seven. Those two teams have given you two really good football games the past couple of years. Um. Are, are we done talking about a group of five team possibly in the playoff? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'll just be some. Since I, Cincinnati is still there, right? They are, but I don't think they can. BYU maybe. They got a long way to go, but they look really good. They do. BYU has been really interesting the past few years. There are some years where you're like that's one of the worst teams in college football, and there's another year where they they could play with anybody. Trevor Lawrence threw for 329 yards and three touchdowns in a win over Virginia. It was 41-23. Maybe not 
what people thought it was going to be. Clemson jumped out of the gates. They led 10 to nothing. They were up 24-10 at the half. Never able to really pull away from Virginia, though, in that game. North Carolina, pretty close win over Boston College, 26-22. Cincinnati stays undefeated with a 28-7 win over South Florida. Oklahoma State rolled, rolled over Kansas, 47-7. NC State knocked Pittsburgh from the ranks of the unbeaten, winning 30-29. Hey, Dad, you mentioned that SMU-Memphis game. It was 17-3 SMU out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Memphis outscored SMU 17-7 in the third quarter, so it was 24-20 at halftime. Memphis got a third-quarter touchdown and was held scoreless in the fourth quarter. SMU kicked field goals in the third quarter and the fourth quarter. They won it 30-27. So that game was tied at 27 into the fourth quarter. Shane Buchel, the former Texas quarterback, threw for 474 yards and three touchdowns in the win for SMU over Memphis. SMU didn't mention the most uh, most interesting part of that game. Okay, the entire SMU student section was ejected. What'd they do? They would not social distance or wear masks, so that the cops threw them out. <laughs> they threw out the entire student section. That's incredible to me. Yeah. And, and what's even more incredible is after they got kicked out of the game, they all went their separate ways and stayed in their apartments and did not gather in large groups elsewhere on campus. So it was very important that they were kicked out of the game so they could appropriately socially distance elsewhere. Yeah. Good call. Good point. Good point. Um, There's a funny picture, though. I mean, they're, they, they've... All got those uh, aluminum cans of Bud Light, the aluminum bottles of Bud Light in their hands. Because for some reason at the stadium there, they give them projectiles to throw on the field if they want to instead of cups. But they are all uh, celebrating a touchdown. And I mean, it's like it looks like the Ole Miss beer showers. They're just thriving. There's just that's my first thought everywhere, all over these kids holding these aluminum cans of Bud Light. I saw the picture. I'm thinking, you know, if there's a bad call. All of those are ending up, like, into the field. It's amateur hour. Put those in cups so they can't throw them. What are you thinking? C Spire text line 601-879-4395. Hey, Dad, I think this is directed to you. Just tuned in. Does State still have a coach? <laughs> yes, same guy. I wonder what that uh, that bandwagon is up to right now, though. That's a good question. The... Um... The official Arkansas football Twitter account had a little fun with that. I saw that. That's good stuff. When you win, you can talk. Yeah. Especially when it's been three years. Yeah, just <laughs> let them do it. They've kept something like that in the holster for a long time. They had one for every team in the SEC yep. except Alabama. They were just like, we're not going to beat them, but everybody else, have a graphic ready. For Old Miss, they had Thomas the Tank Engine with Lane Kiffin's face photoshopped on the front or something Beautiful. like that. You know? Beautiful. Chris in Madison says Tennessee started winning last year when they got the victory against Mississippi State. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. You did say you were there for the very beginning of that, didn't you? I was there when it turned around.
You're welcome, Big Orange Nation. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.